in this time that we're here, have your way. Have your way with our heart, our mind, our spirit. Come, Lord, and not only fill this room, but fill us, each of us, with your presence, with the knowledge of that truth, with that hope that endures, with that confidence that your love for us is constant and that you're at work in our lives. Father, we thank you and praise you that we can have this time together, not only in fellowship, but to be around your word, to sing, to praise, to honor you. We pray today that all would be to your glory and your purpose. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go ahead and have a seat this morning while the uh, praise band has a seat. And uh, remember, it's kids' camp time, so if you've got uh, young people and you want to send them out to kids' camp, just take them on in there. And uh, Joy and the gang in there, the aqua team, will have something, uh, something ready for them. Make it a good day for them. Well, okay, it's time. I know some of you have been waiting all week for this moment, and so uh, I'm, I'm uh, here to say congratulations. And um, yeah, I know it's all right, it's okay. You'll, no, you'll notice that one jersey is uh, is uh, turned, uh, you know, inside out. There, I mean, you can't see the logo. So I'm humbly admitting uh, congratulations and all that. And uh, you know, it's just kind of a lesson that you know your game plans don't always, you know, pan out. Uh, you know, God's game plans always do. Uh, and that's what we're focusing on uh, here today is we're focusing again on, you know, figuring out, you know, God's game plan uh, for our life. And you remember last week we, we started by just acknowledging that, that, uh, you know, God's working, that God has a game plan uh, for our lives. And uh, the way we showed that to you and proved it to you was going to kind of our lamplighter verse for the, for the month, our, our verse that we're kind of all working to, to memorize and, and commit to our hearts for the month out of Genesis uh, 15. And it's when uh, God took uh, Abraham uh, outside and uh, God spoke to him. He said, the Lord took Abraham outside and said, look at the sky and see if you can count the stars. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord was pleased with him. So we can see there, you know, God had a game plan for uh, Abraham's life, right? Uh, and, And the truth is that God has that for us too. Right? That God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has meaning and intention uh, for our lives. So today now we're going to take another step and, and try to figure out, okay, uh, God has a game plan for our lives, but uh, you know, what does that game plan look like? I mean, how, how does that unfold? Uh, we know that when we're watching uh, the game, you know, either in the stadium or on TV, you know, the, the, the coaches have put together a game plan. But somewhere along the way, the, the team's got to get out on the field and take a snap, Right? Uh, and they institute the game plan, right? Now, of course, my team last week uh, forgot the running game and uh, you know, didn't institute the right game plan, in my opinion, but nevertheless, they instituted the game plan, right? They, they did it. And uh, that's what I want you to see this week, is that God's not only got a plan for your life, but he's ready to institute the game plan, okay? He's ready to get at work uh, in your life. Uh, And that's really the first step in God's game plan uh, for your life. The first step is that God wants to just move in. He wants to move in to your life. Let me show it to you. Out of John 14, uh, Jesus says, Jesus answered, If a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teachings. Hang on to that, by the way, for next week. We'll go back to that. But for this week, look at the second half of the verse. 
And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, our abode, our special dwelling place with him. Isn't that awesome? The first step in God's game plan for your life is God just simply wants to move into your life. He wants to make your life, what you experience every day, His dwelling place. He's not going to choose to be distant. He's not going to choose to be off in the mountains somewhere or in the, in the holy realms of the, these recessed places of the sky. He wants to live right here. He wants to live right here. He, his dwelling place. The place that He's going to be every day, all the time. The place that His address is. The place that people looking for are going to find Him is here. Right in your life. His plan is quite straightforward and simple. His plan is simply to move into your life and live there all the time. Every moment. Every breath. Every experience. And when God moves in, He doesn't just move in to kind of get comfy and rearrange the furniture a little bit. He moves in to get active in your life. We can go to the Old Testament, go to Isaiah, that prophet. And Isaiah says, Our holy God lives forever in the highest heavens. And this is what he says. So what Isaiah is trying to say is, look, now the, the God we're talking about here is the God of the universe, who's in the, high, the maker of the highest heavens, the one who is, who is above all things. Okay? The God of the entire universe. Though I live high above in the, in the holy place, I am here to help those who are humble and depend only on me. What is he going to do? Well, he's going to help. When he moves in, God moves in with a plan, with an intention, with a purpose in your life. And his purpose is to make your life awesome. He moves in to help your life. To get your life on track, to get the, get the ball moving down the field. He moves in to make sure that your life is purposed and moving according to his intentions. He moves in and he begins getting active and working in your life. If God is going to move into your life and he's going to get active in your life, it means every day as you approach that new day, you never approach that day alone. But God is right there, and God is right there ready to go to work. Whether you're ready to go to work or not, God is ready to go and be about the business of your life and making it awesome. Now, if you see, receive that word today, and you receive that kind of reality in your life, this interesting thing happens. Here's the way the, the psalmist describes it. The psalmist in Psalm 46 says, Our God says, calm down. Do you like that? Calm down and learn that I am God. What did he just tell you? Listen, if, if God moves into your life and he's there every minute and he's working in your life, chill out, calm down, take it easy. You don't have to do it alone. The whole world is not on your shoulders. Calm down. Relax. God is present. That's what he means. Calm down and learn. I am God. Calm down and remember. God's working in your life. Calm down. Relax. Remember, you're in God's game plan. Calm down. Relax. 
remember, God is busy. God is working. God's calling the plays. You don't have to decide everything. You don't have to come up with every solution. You don't have to worry about every tomorrow. Calm down. God is working. God is in your life. His dwelling place is right here. Calm down. Relax. Understand. God has moved in to your life. Is that great? It gives us permission to understand that when we put our lives into the hands of Jesus Christ, when we just calm down and release ourselves and say, you know what, God? It's not about me. You know what, God? It's not about what I want. It's all about your plan. I just want to I just want to turn my life over to your plan. I want my life to unfold however it is you want my life to unfold. When you do that, there is a calmness and a peace, that perfect peace that we talked about uh, last week. God has a game plan for your life. The game plan is he just wants to move in to the every moment of your life so you can just calm down. And let him work. And let him be in control. Second thing. Second thing on God's game plan is he wants to not only just walk into your life, work in your life, but he wants to be there in the midst of every challenge that you face. When God says he's ready to come and dwell with you, it's not a momentary thing. It's not just, well, I'm going to show up for the birthday parties and the celebrations. God says he's ready to walk into your life no matter what's going on. So no matter where your life is right now, no matter what situation you're facing right now, God is saying, I'm ready. I am ready to move into your life. I'm ready to take hold of of whatever that situation is in your life and exercise my divine authority over that situation. I'm ready. God says he is ready to walk into all of our challenges. Let me show you how that works. And it comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's the experience of a couple of Jesus' disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, It's it's a great story, a great experience. So when you go home today, uh, look this up and read it again, will you? But here's the way the experience goes. It says, The same day, two of Jesus' disciples are going to the village of Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, an important thing just happened. Did you notice that? It said, the same day. Does anybody know what day this is? I mean, not this day, but the day in the Scripture? Yeah, it's Resurrection Day. This is Easter Sunday. This is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. On the same day, when the world split, when history was divided, the same day when Jesus rose up and said, death no longer has any any power or any strength in our lives, the same day when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and He proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt, the same day, When eternity opened up, this experience takes place. On the same day when the king proved he was the ultimate authority of life, on that same day, two guys are walking seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. As they were walking, it says, as they were, they were talking and thinking about what had happened. Now notice that. What are these guys doing? They're walking from one town to another, doing seven miles. And while they're walking, they're just talking about life, right? 
They're walking, they're thinking, they're talking, they're saying, hey, can you believe what's been happening? I can't believe what went on. I never thought it would turn out that way. I thought Jesus was the one, and then he's not the one. I can't believe that, that the, the priests and the elders could crucify him like that. I would have thought Jesus would They are just walking along, and they're talking with each other, and they're pouring out their daily life experience. Do you see that? They're just pouring out their daily life experience with one another. And look what happens in verse 15. It says, Jesus came near and started walking along beside them. What does he enter into? He just moved in, didn't he? He just moved into their life experience. Was their life experience perfectly, wonderfully ordered? No. They were walking along, pouring out life. And Jesus just moved in. So you don't have to clean the house before Jesus comes and moves in. He's ready to move in no matter how messy your house is. No matter what's going on in your life experience, He is ready to move in and start facing the challenges and taking control of the challenges that your life experiences. He moves in right away in verse 16. Then it says, but they didn't know who He was. And Jesus adds them, what are you talking about as you walk along? Now, this is so fascinating. We're talking about who? We're talking about Jesus. This is the same guy that when the Pharisees were thinking some things because he was doing a miracle or two, and they were kind of angry about it, and so their own heads and their own hearts, they were thinking and pondering and showing some animosity toward him. Jesus knew what they were thinking. How does this work? How does this work that he can know what they were thinking, but he's walking along the road with two of his disciples, and they don't even understand it's him, and he asks them, what are you talking about? What are you thinking? Did he lose his ability? No. What happens is when Jesus moves in, he knows what's going on in your life situation, but he loves you so much, he is ready for you to just unburden it. You don't have to carry it anymore. When he moves in, he moves into your life experience and the challenges you face, and he's ready for you to say, look, just pour it out. Just, just You don't need to carry that anymore. Just pour it out. Let it go. Turn it over to me. As he's walking on the road, he gets uh, walking with these two disciples, and he says to them, tell me about it. What are you talking about? Go ahead, pour it out. And we know from the text... They aren't feeling real good about it. The next verse says, The two of them stood there looking sad and gloomy. And you see these guys? I mean, they're walking through life like this. And Jesus comes and walks beside them and he says, Okay, tell me about it. You don't need to carry the burden anymore. Tell me about it. They're walking through life and their life experience is sad and weighted down and gloomy. Then Clophus, the one named Clophus, asked Jesus, and you can kind of hear the the anger and the edginess in his response here. He says, are are you the only person? Are, Are you kidding me? Are you the only person from Jerusalem who didn't know what was happening there these last few days? Has that tone ever been on your lips? Has life's situation ever brought you to that place? And Jesus says, Pour it out. Go ahead. Let me carry it. I am ready to enter into 
whatever your life experience is. And I'm ready to start working to make it different. And these two guys come alongside with Jesus and they begin to pour out their life experience and all the frustrations. When Jesus moves in, He gives you that kind of permission. His game plan is to make sure you don't have to carry the burden anymore. You can just pour it out and give it to Him. And remember what the psalmist said? Calm down and just learn, I am God. See, it is the permission for us to step back from that life situation and let Jesus not only enter in, but take control. To let Jesus face the challenge and take control of the situation. And for us just to step back, calm down, and discover that confidence that says, you know what? I don't need to handle it. Jesus is bigger than I am. And let him take control. Let me show you how that works in a young couple's uh, life experience. Uh, Watch the screens for a minute, if you will, and uh, see how this young couple faces uh, life and the challenge uh, that life has. And yet, hear the underlying confidence that they have in God. Go ahead and watch the screens for a minute. I met Holly in 2003. I knew Holly for about a year before I found out about her tumor. Followed my freshman year in high school, I just fainted. I hit my head on the desk and I lost my hearing and lost my vision, you know, and went unconscious. They ended up care flighting me from the football field and they ran some tests and they're telling me that, you know, I have spots on my brain. My neurologist at the time said, let's just watch it, kind of monitor it. So senior year in college, after my biopsy, I found out that it was a brain tumor and that it was benign and slow growing. My tumor was about two inches below my brain surface and it was really close to my motor pathways. When we started dating shortly after, the doctors told Holly that uh, it was approaching a time where we were going to have to act on the tumor, whether surgery or radiation or whatever. Holly was in the operating room for most of the day. It was um, like seven or eight hour surgery. I woke up not expecting to be temporarily paralyzed. I was expecting to have um, temporary weakness um, is what the surgeon had thought. It was definitely more severe than weakness. I was so scared and um, overcome with anxiety um, and fear that um, I would never be able to walk or, you know, talk again. She probably four or five times a week had physical therapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy. And it wore out. It was exhausting. I asked Holly to marry me about three months after her surgery. The engagement period was challenging um, because she was still recovering. Most neurologists will tell you that two years is a pretty standard full recovery time for brain surgeries. A month and a half after we got married, um, things got a lot worse. She had several seizures and I had to quit work to be at home with her. She was put on a couple different medications that just wiped her out. She was sleeping about 14, 15 hours a day. There was a span of about a month where she 
really couldn't have an, an in-depth conversation. That was very hard uh, as a brand new husband in a time that most people expect to be the best time of your marriage. Oftentimes I was very um, much feeling like as if I was a burden and I felt like I was handicapped and lost my independence. Well now, um, Holly and I have been married just over a year. She's doing so much better. We still see some of the effects of sur her surgery and her seizures. She's not driving. That means that me being the only driver between the two of us, both of our schedules are kind of cut in half. When I think about the future and my health situation and where that comes into play and how that will affect me or if it will be a factor in you know, my daily life or in Bradley and I's marriage, I guess I'd say, I, do, I mean, I do think about it. Um, I am scared about it a lot of times. There is still a possibility that some of this health stuff could, um, could show up again, but I think now more than ever, I have a confidence and a trust in the Lord. The Lord has everything in under His control and that, you know, it's all going to be done according to His plan, but it's still, it's still definitely a challenge. Our friendship and our marriage is so much closer and so much stronger having going through a challenging time like that. We've definitely become closer, learning more about each other's hearts for sure and getting to see glimpses of his humble heart and with every sacrificial um, act on a daily basis. That part of being a loving husband and part of making that vow is in sacrificing my time, sacrificing everything I have, anything I can do to love her well, to support her, to help her, to take care of her, if it means putting Holly in a better spot. Facing real life challenges? And yet, did you hear how they came to that place in their life where they could say, God has a plan? They could come to that place in their life where they can just say, you know what, it, it's, it's not about me, it's about God's strength. To the point that they could even look at their marriage and say, wow, this has just really brought us closer. That they could see that God could even take this tremendously challenging situation and bring something out of it. Isn't that awesome? You see, the reality is, you know, here at Christ Church, we're not going to give you just happiness gospel. We're going to give you the whole gospel. And the whole gospel says life is going to be filled with some challenges because we live in a broken world. And it's going to beat us and it's going to batter us. But God still has a plan. And His plan is to move into your life and be right there in the midst of every single challenge you face. And not only is He willing to be present in the situation, but He is willing to be there with His strength to be able to overcome the situation. If you can just calm down and learn, He's God and He's awesome and there's no one greater. These disciples on the road, it took them a while. But when Jesus moved in, they finally got to discover He is God. Did they start out that place? Not at all. In fact, one of God's game plans for your life and for their life was to not only move in 
and to, and to exercise his presence in your life and work. But he was also moving into their life to restore their hope. These guys had lost hope. This experience of what happened to Jesus had totally devastated them. If you go into uh, back into the story, um, it says, uh, they answered those things that happened to Jesus from Nazareth by what he did. And he said, he showed that he was a powerful prophet who pleased God and all the people. So were they up and excited about Jesus for a while? Yeah. But then what happened? Then the chief priests and our leaders had him arrested and sentenced to die on the cross. Now look what I highlighted for you in verse 21 there. It says, we had hoped. What tense is that? What's missing from their life? You see that? They had hope once. But then the world battered them. The world beat them up. Well, exactly, the world battered and beat up Jesus and nailed him to a cross. They had hope when he was a prophet and things were going great. But when things got tough, when the world started really unleashing its uh, anger and its cruelty, they lost their hope. And it took Jesus to come back into their life to work to restore that hope. Now, they had the opportunity to see the hope because they go on to say in verse 22, some women in our group surprised us. They had gone to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find the body of Jesus. They came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who told them that he was alive. Some men from our group went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus either. Now remember, who are these guys talking to? Jesus. Who don't they see? Jesus, because they don't have any hope. They haven't calmed down and understood. Hey, he's alive. He rose to move into your life. They've lost their hope. And in losing their hope, they've lost their vision of understanding and seeing the ability for God to work in their life. Jesus moves in and he reminds them. Then Jesus asked the two disciples, Why can't you understand? How can you be so slow to believe all the prophets said? Didn't you know that the Messiah would have to suffer before he was given his glory? And Jesus explained everything written about himself in the scriptures, beginning with the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, Jesus moved into their life and he restored their hope because he reminded them, calm down and learn. He is God. Do you see that? Remember, guys, remember what the prophets said. Remember what the Bible said. Remember the miracles I did. Remember who I am. Come on. Remember who's moving into your life. Calm down and learn. He is God. And when you learn again that He is God, your hope gets rekindled. Life takes on new opportunity. It says, when the two of them came near the village where they were going, Jesus seemed to be going, Father, now look what they did. And they begged Him, what? 
Stay with us. You see, once that hope starts getting rekindled and you start experiencing that presence of Jesus in your life again, you start getting that confidence that God, yeah, God is here. God is working. God can do greater than I ever thought or imagined. Life becomes totally different. Because now you just say, Lord, just stay in it. God, just stay at it. it it's not my strength. It's yours. And they begged him to just stay longer in his life. Stay longer. And when he stays longer, God's game plan is to keep showing you over and over again his presence. Will you see it every day? Maybe not. But he wants to show it to you. It goes this way in, in, the, in the experience with the guys. It says, after Jesus sat down to eat, he took some bread, he blessed it, broke it, then he gave it to them. And at once, what did they know? who he was, but he disappeared. You see, when God moves in and you, you give over your life and you say, Lord, I'm just going to calm down. I'm going to let you work in my life. Then God is going to restore that hope for you and God is going to begin to show you his presence. You're going to get glimmers where you're going to step back from experiences and say, man, that was a God thing. Have you had that before? You just sit back and say, that was a God thing. Because you know only God can do such things. You see, that's the way it works. And the more you say, Lord, just stay with me. Lord, just stay. The more God stays, the longer He stays, the more you get to see Him work, the more you get to experience His power and His strength, the more He shows up in ways He's wow, God, you are awesome. You see how it works? His plan is to move in. And when he moves in, he wants to restore that hope and he wants to keep showing you again and again that he is present and he is powerful and he has a purpose for your life. And it's right now. It's right now. Because he moves into wherever your life is today. Let me end by showing it to you in, in a psalm. And what's so interesting about this is it's a psalm that we often use at the end of life. Do you know what psalm that is? Come on, which psalm? You go to every funeral. There you go. We always do Psalm 23 at funerals. But you know what? Read the psalm again. Okay? Forget the funeral part. Read the psalm again. Now, I've given you some help because I put some words in there. One word. Now. Okay? So you get the point and you see he's talking about when? Now. Okay, so here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm, and when we get to a now, you say, now. Okay, so you get the understanding God moves into your life now. He works in your life now, regardless of what's going on in the situation, and He can restore your hope now. You get it? That's all the Psalm talks about. Listen to the 23rd Psalm in light of the tense of now. You ready? Here we go. You, Lord, are my shepherd. Now I will never be in need. You let me rest in fields of green grass. Now you lead me to streams of peaceful water and you refresh my life. Now you're true to your name and you lead me along the right paths. Now it's present. I may walk through valleys of dark as dark as death, but I won't be afraid. Now you're with me. Now and your shepherd's rod makes me feel safe. Now you treat me to a feast while my enemies watch. Now 
You honor me as your guest and you'll fill my cup until it overflows now. Now look what happens at the end. Watch this. Your kindness and love will always be with me. How often? That's now, isn't it? Isn't that now? And then, the last phrase of the psalm, he talks about forever. And I will live forever in your house, Lord. Why? Because God's game plan is to live in your life now. He lives in your life now so that you can live in His eternity forever. Is that awesome? You see, God has a game plan for your life. And His game plan is so simple. It's a simple running game. He's just going to run right now into your life, wherever it is, and say, calm down and learn. I'm God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your love for us, that, that You... You want to live here. You want to live in every experience of our day and every moment that we face. You want to be in the midst of those hard challenges and you want to be there in strength and power. Father, we just pray, help us today to learn the now, to learn the game plan you have for our life right now, to be present and to work. Lord, our lives aren't always in order. Sometimes they're really messy. And yet we know you're ready to move in. We pray this morning, whatever our life is like, move in. Move in now. Restore our hope. Give us a confidence to overcome the challenges. And help us to live confident in you now. Because you live in us. We ask this so humbly. In Jesus' name. Please stand as we sing about that amazing love that is with us every day.